So one of our main criticisms of Voyager has been that they haven't taken the time to establish a bench of secondary characters. And I, I, I mean, I'm glad they're finally doing it, but I don't know why they decided to do it all at once. Yeah, and uh, like if, if that's how season six began, and I figure, okay, they're getting a fresh start, they're doing this. But this is actually relatively late in the sixth, sixth season, so if the timing in general feels a little weird for it. Again, I guess they get that they want to change it up late into the show, fine, but they just kind of woke up one morning and said, we need to have an arc in here. That said, I really liked this episode. I liked that it took a couple episode arc. I mean, I know we said the other day about um, uh, Seven of Nine's plot with the Borg children and them, you know, they're rebelling and she's learning to let them, to loosen the reins a little bit and that's how they're going to. We said that that didn't really have that much to do with the episode and maybe it wasn't the strongest plot, but as a piece of level setting to get to this episode... It actually had a very strong purpose. I mean, this episode needs to have as the baseline that Seven of Nine and these children have bonded, that uh, Echeb is very bright and challenging, and uh, we need the, the, her plot in the previous episode really did help establish that, which gives a very strong underpinning to this episode. In other words, if we hadn't had those scenes, this episode would kind of come out of nowhere. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I agree with all of that. I think that the Child's Play is an extremely strong episode of, of Voyager, and I, I really enjoyed it. But I wish I, 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 I lament the version of the show that didn't do this more. Yeah. Well, that yeah, that's what I that's what I'm thinking. I mean, it just seems very strange to me because one of the it, we get to this point so much with Voyager where episodes will show the cracks in the foundation of Voyager, or they will not, and. This is another episode that kind of shows that Voyager could have been a different show. I, yeah. I think that, you know, this is especially galling coming on the heels of, of last week's episode, Ashes to Ashes, because, you know, yes. I was very much just appalled by the, the way in which that episode presumed that the audience was stupid and wasn't paying attention, just did not care about continuity to the degree that it created a new best friend for Harry Kim that we had never seen before. And... Child's Play is an entirely different episode. I mean, it, it, it felt like an episode of DS9. It was yeah, well, building on characters and events that had come before. It was grounded in real emotion and real character building, but it still told a self-contained story. I think that if you had never seen an episode of Voyager before, yeah. you could very happily sit down and watch Child's Play and understand the plot and get something out of it. But if you have seen the previous episodes of Voyager that deal with the Borg children, you would get some additional resonances out of it. If you had seen the development of Seven of Nine, you would get some additional things out of it. And this is what they should have been doing yeah. the whole time. Yeah, I mean, that's almost TNG-style storytelling, but done very compressed. I mean, I would assume that that little three-episode arc was very planned because, obviously, you have the pathogen, and that's called back, which in Child's Play, we find out where the pathogen came from. Uh, I, again, that the, it feels like they, they knew what they were doing. They wanted to write something very strong, and they did it, and... I don't know what inspired them that month, but it's it's a weirdly – I don't want to say ambitious move because DS9 was doing that the entire series, but it's like here we have, we, 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 we have the slow kid doing something really clever and you really want to encourage that. <laughs> yeah, because I mean I, I don't – this is a difficult point in Voyager because I rely a lot on – production stuff in memory alpha and and there is none there hasn't been for a while i don't know why yeah. but there just isn't maybe there's just nobody is interested in, in this part of voyager i don't know but uh, you know kenneth biller is going to be taking the show over in the seventh season i'm sure that that was already decided so yeah. i i don't know if this is coming from him i don't know where this is yeah. coming from but you know brandon bragg is on his way out in in terms of voyager uh, because he's going to be spending the next year working on creating a Star Trek Enterprise with um, with Rick Berman. So, you know, we're, we're getting to the point where Kenneth Biller is going to want to put his stamp on the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, I don't have any real information as to why the Borg children were introduced on the show. I don't know if they wanted to tell this story. 
I think it works though. I mean, I'm less oh, yeah. interested in in why they did it because it it logically flows from the interest that they've shown consistently in developing the character of Seven of Nine. And I think that Child's Play does a much better job of giving Icheb a character and telling us who yeah. Icheb is than we have gotten for Tom Paris, for instance. Mm. And I don't know how I feel about that, though, because... And I think the next episode as well kind of does that as well. Good Shepherd, where you get these three characters that we've never seen before that get a lot of development in a very short period of time. And you just have to wonder, like, why they didn't do this more. We we are getting to the end of the series, and Chakotay is still pretty much a cipher. But we know a lot about Icheb. We've met his parents. It It just strikes me as fundamentally strange. And... You know, it, it, it strikes me as like, well, we fucked up with our main characters. So instead yeah. of trying to fix them, we are just going to create new characters that interest us. And that is an approach and that is a decision. Um, is it satisfying? I mean, I guess I like Icheb. I think he's an interesting character. And this episode was was very good, I thought. Well, I'm thinking about uh, – see, this episode makes me think a lot about TNG. Uh it's in a way a spiritual sequel to I Borg. It's um, and it reminds me. Um, th- th- this week actually is going to be because um, obviously Good Shepherd is kind of the spiritual sequel to Lower Decks. Um, sure, but I mean I know late in TNG's run it started to introduce characters like Ensign Rowe and Barclay and uh, get a little further in you know and making uh, O'Brien an actual character. Um, I mean, he's a perfect example of the extra who everybody liked and was just kind of there, so they figured, let's give him a character. We've seen him before. Again, stuff that Voyager could have been doing. Um, but while those characters were taking taking a different direction, um, certainly Ensign Rowe is a lot more conflicted of a character than Deanna Troyes, for example. Um, it was because they did want to tell different stories, but not because Deanna Troy wasn't a character in a way. Um, this, yeah. You know, they, they were a different type of character than we were used to seeing, but one which complemented the main cast very well. As it, it's it, – it, the, these characters these weeks feel like they're supplanting many of our main cast, which, yeah, is a problem. These episodes – I thought these episodes were very good and – they're disappointing because they highlight the rest of the episodes around them. Yeah, I mean, I would agree with that. I think that that if you look at Voyager as the Seven of Nine Janeway Doctor show, which is a not you know a not insignificant view among the Star yeah. Trek fan base, I don't necessarily agree with that, but that is a viewpoint, and and that is a valid viewpoint. That your your phrase flows logically out of the character i think is really interesting because Icheb and the rest of the borg children do flow logically out of what the show has become interested in which yeah. is a lot of seven of nine seven of nine has been on the show for almost three years at this point and as we talked about in Collective, it seemed like this was an attempt to level her up and take her to the next step where she has graduated from being parented essentially by Janeway. And now she is, is able and willing to do the same. This is her being pushed outside of her comfort zone in terms of her personal development. I mean, Janeway even says in this episode, use your maternal instincts, which, yeah. you know, I, I don't know how I feel about that, but we can talk about that. But I, but I do think that looking at this version of Voyager, this episode makes a lot of sense for it. Yeah, it's um, – what I really like about Seven of Nine's character in this is that in this episode, she is running very strongly on emotions, but she has managed to – like and, and at no time does she deny that her emotions are her motivations. It's at one point uh, – you know, when Janeway says, oh, you're you're taking out some of your issues with your parents and you're projecting them onto each of his parents. And Seven and Nine basically says, yeah, I know I'm doing that. I know I'm very angry at my parents. But at the same time, 
I can also see a logical reason to do this. We, they were capt- He was captured by the Borg under their care. We do need to make sure that they can protect him. My goal at this point is to protect the kid that I love. If his parents are not the best people to do that, logically, this is not the best choice. And, you know, that that is a very strong position for her to be arguing from. Again, she has the passion to stick to this and the logic to have it make sense. Yeah, because I, I, I think that that's actually really nice for the episode to acknowledge that it's, it's yeah. grounding in the, in the reality that, that Seven of Nine's parents did cause her to be assimilated. Yeah, I mean, that was... She would have some emotions about that, for sure. Yeah, that was... And and this is another case of Voyager does this sometimes, where it it did it with Janeway a lot, where it'll look at an unspoken assumption and say that's kind of fucked up or that's wrong. I mean, when we had the episode which did flash back to her parents and we did learn the circumstances, I know I very explicitly said, like, what kind of parents take their kid on an extraordinarily dangerous expedition and even go further than they are you know disobey starfleet orders to go and risk you know punishment for their explanation with their kid in tow and this episode calls that back and said yeah annex's parents were kind of not really good parents at all and uh, we're sort of dancing around the twist or the sort of like, you know, surprise of the episode, which is that Echeb's parents genetically yeah. engineered him to, to contain this pathogen that would, would, you know, help destroy the Borg. And obviously that is terrible and they're yeah. terrible people and they're terrible parents. But I, I, I think that that's maybe the one misstep yes. of the episode because I feel like it would have been enough for Seven to grapple with the reality of the situation vis-a-vis she has a lot of anger, a lot of conflicted yeah. feelings surrounding her own parents, so she would naturally want to do the same for each of She would naturally want to protect him from them. It is a form of projection, and she does realize that, which is that the point of the scene that you mentioned where she talks about her parents and Janeway does say, you know, it's surprising that you admit that or something like that, or you would not have admitted that a year ago. And that shows a level of personal growth for seven of nine. I think I just wish that the episode would have found a different reason to keep each on the ship well, you know, because I don't I, I think it just it, it, it's a little yeah. bit of a false note. It is not fatal for the episode or anything like that. And it actually does tie up nicely with the pathogen in collective. It is a rare example of Voyager setting some groundwork and then paying it off. Yeah. Kind of like the Herogen from season four. And in but, a way that was surprising because uh, Collective does kind of make you think, okay, well, this is space. Pathogens can happen. Just It was a random thing that just happened to take the Borg, and you don't really question, well, how did it get on? What does it have to do anything? So, you know, I, I was surprised to find it used again and in an interesting way. Um, I guess this is, you know, this is me in the fixing the episode camp but i i when i first watched the episode their plan seems a little cartoonishly super villainish in a way but like i said this is an uh, this is a sequel to i borg in its way because what they do with Echeb is not very different from the plans with hugh right they're going to basically install a virus on hugh that's going to destroy the borg and because he's picard he decides not to he decides that uh, Hugh's dignity as an individual is too great for them to use him as a weapon. And here we have people who make the wrong choice. And I don't know. I see the father as a little conflicted in this episode, and I wish they had gone with it more. In other words, uh, on paper, yes, this is a great plan. We're going to genetically engineer a child to kill the Borg. And then, you know, nine months later, there's an actual child, and he has a son, and he's bonded with it. And. You know, he reluctantly agrees to do the plan. Now it's a a year or so later, um, and he has his son back, and this time he's realizing, you know, when when they're talking about, oh, this is a gift, his mother is thinking, here's another chance to attack the Borg. I wish the father had thought more along the lines of, this is my chance to actually have my son back and escape, you know, a really bad mistake. 
Um, yeah, I, I mean, I agree with all of that, and I also think that that it's a little bit of a miss. I mean, I just don't buy it necessarily. Like, yeah. it seems that there would have been another way to infect the Borg with this pathogen than doing this, as you say, cartoonishly super villainous yeah. thing of 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 you know genetically engineering their their son to that to doesn't be some work sort of like Borg sleeper weapon. I, I I don't know how I feel about that, and also, I mean. Uh, to be frank, like I don't necessarily think that these people look all that bad off. Like I, I don't, I don't know well, to what degree. I mean, we have to accept the premise of the episode that the Borg have this transwarp conduit above their planet or whatever, and that they come down sometimes and steal their hot new technology. But I don't know. I mean, it doesn't I mean, the impl- seem. The implication I got was that their plan worked to a degree. In other words. You know, this this thing infected the Borg a year ago, and so they basically rather – you know, until they can fix the pathogen, they're staying away from that area. And maybe it is genetically engineered so that way the Borg – you know, it's not the Borg's highest priority. I don't know. That was the implication that I got, and now they're going to destroy another Borg cube and, uh, you know, further reinforce that this is a dead zone or something. Um, I don't know. Again, it, 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 it's it, – it, it doesn't feel like all of this worked well enough in order to justify this as part of the problem. In other words, it destroyed one ship. It didn't destroy the entire Borg collective, and so they don't even tweak their experiment. They don't even, you know, if the mother was saying, well, we need to invent another child so that way that will actually, you know, take longer and infect more cubes, uh, that would be something. And it does also kind of, of of contradict what we have seen of the Borg before, which is that they don't necessarily care about one cube. I mean, yeah, that that is kind of the point of the Borg that they don't have any compassion. They they don't have any sort of attachment to yeah. individual Borg, individual cubes. They will just cut off entire sections of the collective if they need to in order to survive, and so. Yeah, I, I think it's a little bit of a weird misstep on the episode's part. I Yeah. I I that, thought that where said, it was Well, I thought where it was going to go was the father rescuing Echeb at the end and saying, you know, no, you need to go on voyage or like the plan doesn't work. I can you know, in other words, sacrificing his son so he can live properly. Like and that would have made sense. And I think they needed to acknowledge that this wasn't a great plan. Right. I mean, I, I think it probably would have helped. It's 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 hard to do in, in 45 minutes. I, yeah. And I think that's primarily of what course. the problem is that, you know, they need to establish this planet. They need to establish this this species. They need to establish each parents as people. They also need to deal with seven of nine and her emotional uh, attachment to each and her emotional vulnerabilities. It's a lot to do in, in one episode of television. And so if they whiffed it a little bit, eh, all yeah. right, you know, I mean, I, I'm not necessarily faulting them for not exactly getting the personalities and the uh, of, of each parents down totally because frankly i don't necessarily care about each parents that much you know they, they are vehicles to get at the heart of of each and who each is and i guess that's what i want to talk about now which is each is an actual character on the show we have seen him three times now of course we have the other borg children but they're really just used as as background fodder i think more than anything else uh what are we thinking about Echeb? Like, do we know who he is? Is he an interesting character? Does he justify spending this much time on him? Or do you think that he is just a vehicle to get more character development for Seven of Nine? I mean, he is an interesting counterpart to Seven of Nine. He certainly, I mean, the children in general adapt a lot quicker and easier to life on Voyager than Seven of Nine did, which makes sure. sense. They are kids. Um and where they were before, you know, they they weren't raised in the Borg Collective. It was very uncomfortable. So this is the closest to a stable environment they've had in a while. Um, I think Echeb is a really good teen character, if you know what I mean. Like, yeah, he's yeah. a lot more of an interesting character than Wesley, even if he is similar enough in that, you know, here's just a kid who's uncommonly gifted and with the right encouragement is going to go extremely far. Um, And it's nice, especially after Wesley and Jake, to see one of those who's like, no, actually, I really love working in Starfleet and they are the ones who are going to give me the best opportunities. Um, I mean, that's about who Echeb is to me. He's, He's just an angry kid who is 
slowly finding his place in the world, and I'm glad he is finding his place in the world. And I think it will be interesting at some point for him to actually deal with what the mission is because, I mean, he's – you and I know from a meta perspective, he's got a year and a half left on the ship um, yeah. before they get to Earth. Um he will obviously do okay in Earth. It's not like it, uh, it's very likely that his next stop will probably be Starfleet Academy or one of the many scientific academies that the Federation has. He's going to be fine, but he is going to have feelings about that. I mean, Naomi Wildman had feelings about going back to Earth that we address. I think Achebs might be interesting too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I agree with all of that. I mean, I certainly think that that Echeb is a as you say a good teen character and I, i'm not super interested in Echeb yet i mean i think that he's mostly a foil for seven of nine yeah. and pushes seven of nine in new and interesting directions uh i think he's a fine character i i don't necessarily have much attachment to him yet he he does appear a few more times so it's not like this is the last time yeah. we'll ever see him or anything like that uh so yeah i mean I, I i think i think that's fair I mean, he's coming of age. His his final scene in this episode is him convincing his mother figure that, oh, can I stay up an extra hour and not go to bed and do some, you know, and work on my studies and getting that extra hour, you know, it, it, it's so you know that in terms of character development is certainly significant to him, but a very basic step as far as being a person is. So again. He's young. He doesn't annoy me, and I find him kind of interesting, but uh, goddamn, I wish this level of care had been taken with Paris. It's true. <laughs> well, I, I guess the, 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 the last thing to deal with is, is that sort of like maternal instinct, as you mentioned, because it's I, – I don't know how I feel about it. I mean, I think that, that a case could be made either way, and I don't know if – we need the show to necessarily go down the road of seven of nine being a stand in mother for these children. I, I think that it would be okay if she was a sister, a mentor slotted in as something else besides a mother figure. Yeah. Ascent, you know, especially because Icheb is, I don't know how old he's supposed to be now. Now the implication of course, is that he was, much younger when he was assimilated yeah. by the Borg, but this maturation chamber made him older. So, you know, let's say he was, I don't know, six or seven when he was assimilated and now he's 15, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Which I think is fair. I, I don't I don't know that Icheb needs a mother figure, and I don't know if it's right to sort of, like, put Seven of Nine in that role just because she's a woman. Do you know what I mean? Like, I feel like yeah. it's a, this is kind of a thought exercise, but I feel like... If Seven of Nine was played by a hot dude, I don't think that everyone would be running around saying that he's a father figure. Do you know well, what I mean? Like, put it this way. Uh, you know, Hugh was not, you know, to Hugh and Jordy had a very strong connection, but nobody saw Jordy as a father figure. You know, again, he was taking yeah. more of an older brother role. Um, that said, the one, you know, the time that the phrase maternal instinct is used um, – and this may be more Kate Mulgrew than anything. I think she's using the term maternal instinct semi-ironically. Like, she she is reacting to, well, Seven of Nine knows something's up. And, you know, she the, the, all of this doesn't add up to her and she is going with it. That's Seven of Nine's approach to any problem. Um, because of the circumstances, Janeway's half-jokingly calling it a maternal instinct. At the same time, it's only half-jokingly. Or maybe Janeway is saying use your maternal instincts, ironically, knowing that Seven of Nine doesn't have any maternal <laughs> instincts. I don't know. Well, you know, it's just it, – it, it is almost fun. You know, it's like it's like me suddenly de developing an interest in the welfare of a child. Like it's a little weird. You know, you've never done that before, but okay. Like I, I, I guess it's your paternal instincts kicking in. Sure, whatever. Like – um, this is, you know, Seven of Nine may be taking this as just care for somebody who is in her care. She would may take the same for anybody who she was responsible for. Yeah, I guess, I mean, not not to belabor this point, but I, I do feel like my, my issue with this is really coming from the phrase maternal instinct. And, and that's, that is that, that is really like a highly it, – it's a highly gendered and sort of sexist because no one ever talks about paternal instincts, I guess is my point. Yeah, it's an old-fashioned term in, in a way. 
I just wonder if there – because now we have two episodes in a row which are literally dealing with you can't go home again. You know, When you go back to where you thought you belonged, you find out stuff about it and yourself that has made it difficult. And again, this late in the series run, no, again, knowing it's about a year and a half till they're getting home, it's weird that they're bringing – that they're focusing on that theme. And I – uh, Yeah, it – as you said, Kenneth Miller is taking is going to take over next year. They know this by this point. Probably some, you know, the, some story seeds that he might want to start getting in for next year are being taken up. Uh, I wonder if that's part of it. It certainly could be. I I think that I don't know if that. I mean, frankly, I don't know if they have enough foresight to to, yeah. to kind of see that. And the yeah, do they know that maybe they only have one season? I mean, I I doubt anybody oh, was surprised yeah, sure. to I mean, find I, out. I, I, yeah, I I think that they knew that they were only getting one more season. I don't I don't think it was ever a realistic possibility that, that they were going to get an eighth season. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I don't. They didn't. I mean, they famously did not plan the ending of the, of the show. So you know, I I don't I don't know if that was intentional or not. I don't even know if they were thinking about okay, well, Voyager's going to be coming. Th- I mean. Yes, I think they knew that Voyager was going yeah. to get back home because this is not the type of show to pull the rug out from the audience and just have Voyager like continue to go to the Alpha Quadrant in the last episode. That would be kind of pulling the rug out from everyone. But I also don't know that they had enough foreknowledge to think about the type of yeah. environment that Voyager was coming back to, which essentially would be a Federation devastated by the Dominion War. Yeah. So maybe there's some of that in there. I don't know. But then again, that might just be me projecting onto what I wish the show would have done. <laughs> no, it's true. Yeah, because they, they aren't coming back to a nice long vacation on Ryza. Like, everybody has a lot to do. Even though the Dominion War is over, everybody is going to want to be doing some rebuilding. Yeah, for sure. All right, I think that's all we can say about Child's Play. Let's move on to Good Shepherd. But before we do that, I do want to take an opportunity to let you all know, remind you, that this podcast is supported by you. Yes, you listening to this right now, staring off into space, wondering about the world. Go to patreon.com slash truckaboutshow, get out of your head, and give us a little money. All right, Good Shepherd. This is a very interesting episode. I like it more than Lower Decks, actually. Okay. Uh, I, but I don't know how I feel about a lot of it. Well, I'm curious if, and yeah, let Answer this question. Do we see these people again? Uh, well, the fact that you have to think about it makes I, it... Yeah, I mean, like, I think that's probably your answer. <laughs> I was wondering if this was, an att- and again, an attempt to establish a backcast, even if it's just simply as, you know, Bellana needs to chat out a, some techno babble at somebody and that somebody is going to be one of these characters now. Like, I... Even as simple as that, but... I mean, that, this is, like... We we kind of would have to directly compare Good Shepherd to Lower Decks, right? Yeah. Because Lower Decks was the seventh season of TNG. TNG had had done a very good job of establishing its main characters. We knew a lot about each one of them at this point. We knew who they were. We knew how they would react in certain situations. And Lower Decks was a little bit of an experimental episode. It was, okay, we've spent six and a half years with these main characters let's see what else is going on on the enterprise the enterprise is a much bigger ship than voyager we're talking about a crew of like a thousand versus a crew of like a hundred and something uh on voyager uh so lower decks was a coming from a very different place i think good shepherd is odd because i think that this episode should have happened a lot sooner yeah no this the these we knew that there were plenty of people around the Enterprise that we weren't seeing, and we knew that we weren't seeing them because there were so many, and we did have some people like O'Brien who we were seeing more of, uh, people like Nurse O'G- and, and, and even connecting it to—the the thing is, Lower Decks has a couple of people that we've already met, right? Like, isn't that the episode where Nurse Og- Ogawa gets her promotion, and we have, yeah. the, we have the Bajoran girl from— uh, uh, that with Wesley's uh, prank experiment thing. Yep, exactly. Uh, yeah. And, and, and so, like, even TNG's episode that's, let's see some characters we haven't met before, has a couple of characters we've met before and we know. And uh, they're also, and this doesn't, 
it would be it, it would have been nice if we had seen these characters in a very small role at some point. Uh, yeah, because I, I, I guess fundamentally what my issue with this episode is, is that it's very well constructed. It tells a good story. I, I like the establishment of these characters, and I think it, it rings some nice drama and, and is a good episode for Janeway. But at the end of the day, I fundamentally don't buy the reality of the situation, which is that on a ship of 15 decks, yeah. which the, which is kind of cool. Like we see the bottom of the ship for the first time. It looks a little bit, you know, rough around the edges. It doesn't have the carpet down there. It's a little, you know, like it doesn't look like a good place to be stationed for, for eight or 10 hours a day. Uh, although, you know, what's his name likes it because he can work on being an asshole even more, <laughs> um, you know, without being interrupted. But I think that I, 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 I buy that on the Federation flagship with yeah. crew members coming and going all the time with a thousand people on the ship that we could know characters. We could have characters that crew members didn't know. I don't know if I buy that on a much smaller ship of a hundred and change people that, that they wouldn't know these people that there wouldn't be more, I, you know what I mean? It just it just feels well, like they don't understand that Voyager is a very small ship sometimes. Like, in, in a way, I think Balana does a bit of be establishing how that happened. Um, like, she she makes it clear, like, yeah, we're, she's the one who's dealing with Celeste the most, right? Like, she says, you know, yeah, her calculation. Yeah. No, sorry, that's 7 and 9. 7 and 9 says, oh, her calculations are always off. We just give her the shit duties, and that's fine. And Balana really is annoyed by the people under her and saying, you know, yeah, they, they, I don't think, I think Bellana is certainly the type of person who is just gonna give someone duties out, out of her sight where they can't mess it up and not even bother talking to the captain because she has other stuff to do. And if somebody wants to wash themselves out, what does Bellana care? Um, as long as she's getting her stuff done, it's bet, you know, he's in the way. Um, I think they all feel that these people are in the way, so they've just gotten them out of their sights, and they don't have the uh, – Bolana and Seven of Nine are not necessarily going to go out of the way, their way to help somebody that they don't like and who hasn't shown any need for it. Uh, the doctor with his hypochondriac patient uh, figures it's easier to just – I don't know. I feel like the doctor might complain, but <laughs> – um, well, I yeah, I mean, I, I I hear what you're saying, but but at the same time, yeah, like, no, it's, it's I don't I, hear I don't what you're know saying. how much sense it makes because you know Chakotay does say that okay, there are always some people that sign up for their first year of deep space yeah. exploration and don't make it for whatever reason. Fine, I believe that that is a thing that happens. Oh yeah, that makes sense to me. And of course, these three characters, these three crew members, probably wouldn't have made it uh, uh, for for the whole year and would have transitioned off and gone to a starbase or another posting somewhere. I think, interestingly enough, also this is an interesting um, dynamic because they are explicitly crewmen and crew women. They are not officers; like they don't have pips. Yeah. I think they're supposed to be more like enlisted people, uh, kind of like O'Brien was at least early yeah, on. Yeah. And so, that's an interesting wrinkle that the episode doesn't really do much with. Uh, and it it also just strikes me as very strange that Janeway wouldn't even really know who these people were. I mean, <laughs> like once again, I just keep I keep harping on this point, but it's like Voyager is not a big ship and. How could she not know these people? Like, don't they have parties or something? Like, I, I just yeah. But you know, know is I... the guy is is the deck fifteen guy ever going to any of the parties? Um, well, which... no. I mean, you know, uh, Harren is one thing, and I think that he probably, I, I, you know, as Belana yeah. says, she has tried to put him to work, and he has not wanted to do it because he necessarily wants to work on all his yeah. theoretical cosmology, and so being stationed at the power place at deck 15 is a good place for him because he just has to push some buttons every once in a while but most of the time he's left alone to work on his cosmology but i feel like janeway would probably know who the other two were telfor and and uh what's her name uh celeste tal celeste so yeah i don't know i mean she doesn't have to be best friends with everybody and certainly she's the captain of the ship and she's very busy but i just i don't know well let me put it this way celeste is probably so is obviously enamored by the captain and she thinks she's really cool and she's also terrified and so i can't picture her getting up the gumption to approach janeway at a party and so she just 
if Jane, if Janeway knows her, it's at oh yes, that one quiet girl who works in astrometrics and doesn't really think about it. Um, again, and, the, and I, the, yeah, you know, Janeway explicitly says they've fallen through the cracks. I mean, this is somebody who, in the pilot episode, uh, acknowledged that she hasn't even really gotten to know her officers, and so she's spent the past six years getting to know her officers and many of the crewmen very well, but. You know, there's these three – it's – you know, these three people have made – you know, haven't really met her halfway, and so I don't think they're on her mind very often. You know, maybe yeah, she's no, – yeah, maybe I she's thought about I, it. I, yeah. Yeah, and I think that, that if you if you take the example of Lower Decks, uh, we, do, we do kind of know that, that officers fraternize with officers and senior crew members fraternize with senior crew members and lower people fraternize with other lower decks people and that's fine and then i also think that that if you look at tng kind of establish the idea that the first officer is the one that that kind of deals a lot with personnel issues that yeah janeway probably wouldn't know a lot about this like chakotay would probably know more of these people and that's kind of the first officer's job is to uh uh, handle that sort of thing so so i guess that makes sense and i mean chakotay is the one who even suggests like like, well, maybe they we can take them out of Starfleet and they can just do whatever they want. You know, we have a couple of civilians on this ship. You know, we're, we're, we're fine to do that. Um, maybe that's been his unofficial policy at a time. You know, maybe he's the one who told Bellana, like, listen, is there a place that he can just do the least damage? And if he's reading all day, who cares? I mean, that may have been I mean, that that's a fan and explanation, but it seems to make sense. I don't even think it's a fan of explanation. I, I think that's that. I mean, I think that's kind of explicitly in the episode, or at yeah. least implicitly in the episode. Uh, but I, I do like. I mean, let's deal with each of the characters then. So, so Heron, we've already kind of dealt with. He's an asshole and whatever, uh, and he does get his chance to shine at the end of the episode, and that's great. Um, I do like how he really doesn't have any time for Tom Paris, and really sort of <laughs> like. <laughs> Uh, you know, I know I, Tom Paris finds the one guy who's more unpleasant than he is, and it's wonderful. And he kind of looks like Paris too. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> they kind of have the same hairstyle a little bit. <laughs> I mean, I love the fact that Paris just kind of walks away from him after Heron says that line about like, "Oh yeah, being at the helm all day must be really, really fun." <laughs> but. Uh, uh, I don't like that's a problem though is that like these people are are sort of like okay and fine and they all have different personalities but there's not really much to say about them because they all get their little arcs you know Heron is the asshole with the secret heart of gold who gets a chance to shine at the end of the episode um you know Telfor is the hypochondriac which is one of the laziest pieces of character work I think oh, yeah. like just you know hypochondriacs it's kind of like going back to Barkley or something um who gets a chance to get over it by being infected with this like dark matter being or whatever. And Tal Cerise is not good at her job. And then she gets the wonderful, you know, confidence from Janeway and yeah. becomes a better officer. Like, yeah, it's all great and fine. And I, I, I think it's all good, but well, I don't I th- know. I mean, is that all there is to it? I guess that's I, it. I mean, I think this has to do with what we're saying about uh, Child's Play, which is that it does have to cover a lot of ground. I mean, it needs to character, it needs to introduce and characterize and give arcs to three separate characters in this episode. And maybe it is going a bit archetypally, but in a way that worked for me because, um, I mean, that was the kind of story that this is trying to tell. It's a little more allegorical. I mean, it's literally talking about the parable of the Good Shepherd. And so you have, this is Starfleet recognizing that it doesn't want to let people go through the cracks, even if there is a situation where it would not hurt anybody to let these people just finish up the, again, the easiest solution would be, yeah, let's just put them in civilian uniforms and they can do whatever they want. And that yeah, certainly it would make uh, Paris or whatever his name is very happy, but uh, Janeway doesn't wish to do that, and so we need to see her making the effort, and we need to see some notable and noticeable change in all three of them. So if it goes a yeah. little basic, that's okay. But but what does this episode say about Voyager? I think that that's my my, my primary problem with it is that lower decks was. 
taking the ship and the senior crew and their relationships as established and showing us the flip side of it, showing us what they looked like from the other side. And I could buy that a lot of these characters on Lower Decks were just sort of like bumming around, doing their job, doing the best they could, moving up the ranks, right? Whereas these characters are in a very different situation, even though they're, you know, they're not necessarily the same as the Lower Decks characters because they're kind of stuck and they probably yeah. would be the ones that washed out and and would leave the ship after a year harris but is, i don't you know I fully don't... intending to leave the sh- was fully intending to leave the ship in a year he was just putting his yeah. head down doing his minimum and you know if i gotta see in that well who cares i'm not it's not going to prevent me from grad school right right but then like i don't know what this episode is saying about voyager as a place or or the the senior crew as people you know it seems to be saying that these people kind of fell through the cracks and no one wanted to deal with them but then is that a good look for voyager i mean not really well it's not saying that it doesn't want it, it, it it's it's about the fa- this this to me this episode was about janeway realizing her mistake and stepping up and fixing it which is again something we have always admired in starfleet captains and to me, this well, re- to me, this also reinforces some of the meta plot of it, which is that Voyager is a ship that fell through the cracks and is lost. And back home, we know because we've seen it, the Federation is doing everything they can to make sure Voyager gets home. So I don't know. To me, that seemed like a, a nice little microcosm of that. Somebody is straying from the fold. Starfleet is going to make sure that they come back and that they are doing the best they can. All right. Okay. <laughs> but I but but my yeah. issue with that is is that this show has consistently or well I guess not consistently has has told us that this is a family that Janeway is views the Voyager as a family that they are in this together. I mean, think back to uh the end of the 37s when Yeah. They were invited to stay on the planet, and it was like a nice civilization, and they they had all this sort of nice stuff in big cities and whatever, and no one stayed. And now you're telling me six years later that Harren wouldn't have just been like, all right, I'm peacing out. Like, you know what I mean? It just, it just, yeah, I I know because Harren didn't exist and they didn't know he existed in the second season. That's why. But if you're going to establish that you have characters that do not want to be on Voyager, you know what I mean? Like, and and you're telling us that it is going to take them a lifetime to get back to earth. These characters, if they really do believe the reality of the situation Mm -hmm. that they are in, that it is going to, they're going to be very old people by the time they get back to the alpha quadrant. Like, I feel like they would have, like some of them would have just stayed on that planet. And it's just like, it's the short sighted storytelling of Voyager, which is, wanting to privilege the episode over the overarching structural reality of the show. But this is, I well, we were talking, so our September patron uh, special, which is available to patrons of $5 or more, um, we were talking. And where can you go to get it, Richard? uh, Patreon.com slash Trek About Show. Is that right? That is right. I pay attention, and so should you. Um if we we were talking about this current generation of Star Trek, about Discovery, about uh, the Picard show, and I, I, I think we both identified the biggest problem with Discovery is the fact that it has like 400 people creating it and showrunning it. And maybe I, – I, I mean certainly there wasn't that much chaos in the initial stages of Voyager as this, but there are a lot of – hands on this and it may have been a more consistent show that way to if it had had uh, one showrunner the entire time maybe that that would have been a version where Janeway kind of during her conversation with Heron points out yeah well there have been several opportunities to leave the ship there was this planet and that planet and you could have gotten off at any time but you never have why have you stayed this entire time i mean to me that could have been a good moment to demonstrate that no he really does have a heart of gold he's just mired in his own depression and funk and his own feelings of alienation that uh and stubbornness that he hasn't fully gotten in i mean that that 
that's a version which would have highlighted and made the character make a little sense because I can find that justification in him. Yeah, I mean, certainly you can justify it, and I'm not saying that that, yeah. that can't be justified, but I just think that that it is episodes like this do show that the cracks of Voyager are sort of like papered over by by the different showrunners. I think that's actually really right. And, you know, it goes back to things like, okay, well, Jerry Taylor didn't like Suter, so they killed Suter. You know, yeah. it's 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 just things like that which are missed opportunities, but at the same time, the show doesn't necessarily hang together all that well because once you establish that Voyager is one ship alone in the Delta Quadrant and they can't, you don't have people coming and going. They're not going to star bases yeah. on the off weeks that we're not seeing things like that. It, it becomes a problem when they introduce new characters and they were put into situations previously that they would have left the ship and they didn't leave the ship because they didn't know they existed. But like, you know what? It's just, yeah, yeah, it's just, yeah. it's just questioning the reality of the situation. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that makes a lot of sense for that. It's, I wish but the it's, show were more careful because when it does something carefully like the Echeb arc, it does a really good job of it. Right. I, and I think that's I think that's okay. I mean, obviously the show at this point and its evolution is much more interested in Seven of Nine and Janeway and developing those relationships and those characters more than the other ones, which I think is okay. Uh, we've gotten a lot of good stuff since Seven of Nine has, has joined the show. So I don't have a problem with any of that, but it it does. One, one of the things I was thinking when I was watching this episode, actually, which which kind of surprised me, was that Voyager has worked under the assumption that anybody on the bridge has to be a main cast member. And Discovery is the show that broke that tradition. I mean, we have main cast members that are not bridge officers and we don't know who, like we, we basically yeah. like, have no idea who a lot of the bridge officers is, you know, like we've got uh, the helmsman or the helmswoman. We've got the ops officer. Like we don't know who any of these people are. And I think that's kind of fascinating. Like I can see a version of Voyager where Harry Kim is just like a dude and we don't really know who he is. And I think that might've been more satisfying, honestly. Yeah. And that way the inevitable Harry Kim episode, uh, it wouldn't matter that he's a bit lighter of a character because, okay, well, he's having his little 1F episode uh, to shine, but we don't need to, you know, learning a little bit about him goes more more of a way. Because in a, in, in a lot of ways, uh, Tilly, for example, is is the type of character that we see in this episode. Yes. Yeah. Like no, not I mean, not not in that she wants to leave Discovery or anything like that. She's very good at her job and she wants to be in Starfleet, but it's just like she is a lower decks type character that is a ma- that is a main character on the show. Yeah. 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 And, and, and in some ways, she does have some of the similar problems as Celeste, which is that they are both very capable and very driven. I mean, they make it very clear that Celeste has gotten onto this ship just because of sheer force of will. You know, she doesn't have the intellectual talent, but by God, she is going to pull an all-nighter every every day if it's if it gets her what she wants. And Tilly is a very similar character in that way, too. She has no confidence in herself. She has been, you know, broken by her crazy mother, but by God, she wants to be a Starfleet captain one day. Right, right. Well, I, I think we would be remiss if we didn't discuss Janeway in this episode briefly because she is kind of the point of the episode. This is a Janeway character episode. And, uh, you know, I, I like Janeway in this episode. I think yeah. that I can certainly see her wanting to do this. I can certainly see her. Uh, uh, you know, she she's able to – she's a lot more of a captain in the Picard mold, I think, where she doesn't necessarily – want to cultivate warm and friendly relations yeah. with everyone under her. But when she has to do it, she does. And I don't think this episode is telling us anything new about Janeway, but it has, it has been a while since we've had an episode with this much Janeway in it. And it's, yeah. it's nice to see her. Yeah. Yeah. No, this is a, uh, I really like Kate Mulgrew very much. Um, Oh yeah, she's great. Yeah, and you know she's very good in this. I, I mean, yeah, it makes again the Tuvok and Janeway relationship makes so much sense because they are both people who desire very close relationships with certain specific people, but also don't wish to express that in a warm and fuzzy and huggy way. And you know, yeah, Janeway, you it's it's clear. 
after this episode that Janeway is going to spend a little more time with Celeste in particular. Uh, she may take her under her wing. I think it's clear from her at the end of the episode where she's like, no, we're doing this. We don't leave the cat. You know, that, yes, maybe she's not destined for data stuff, but she's actually really good for command. And so that's what Janeway is going to start mentoring her for. But, you know, she may end up having some discussions with Heron about uh, theoretical cosmology. They're just not going to be as cute, you know? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Well, I think we should wrap this episode up, but I do want to mention one other thing about Good Shepherd, uh, which is that uh, Crewman Mitchell, did you pick up on that, who that is? No, no. What the hell was that uh, entire exchange? Yes, it was very artificially done. You could definitely see that they were doing that for a very specific reason, and the reason they did it is that Crewman Mitchell was a guest cameo from one Tom Morello of Rage Against the Machine. Oh! Like... I, I, he was, I guess, huh. a Star Trek fan. He played, I think, a Sona in Star Trek Insurrection, uh, and he also was in this episode. That's why they had that very sort of like artificially, yeah, like sort of like disjointed scene where Janeway specifically calls out someone, and they show his face in a weird way, and then she's like, "Okay, then, bye." <laughs> like, I didn't know if that was intended to be like. Uh, well, Janeway knows even, you know, the guard on the lowest level of the deck. Like, you know, she I I, I, I thought that was supposed to be, but it, you're right. It was such a stilted, wow, okay, that makes yeah. sense. I don't know why they didn't have him play one of the yeah. characters in the episode. Maybe he's just not a very good actor. I was going to say, know. I mean, you saw his scene. Is he a great actor? No. Has he done anything <laughs> else? No. That was just, hey... I really like this show. My band is still popular for some reason, and uh, we can do this. <laughs> yeah, I think that's fair. All right, well, I think we'll call it an episode. If you have any thoughts on Child's Player Good Shepherd, please leave a comment on the post for this episode of the podcast at truckaboutshow.com. As I said earlier, and as Richard said earlier, good job, Richard. We do have a Patreon. Yay! You can go to patreon.com slash truckaboutshow if you would like to donate to us, and please do. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, we are there. Truck About Show is our username. Follow us and like us and share us and all those things. And as always, please leave us an Apple Podcast review. It has been a while since we've gotten one. I would like to read a new one. Thank you. All right, three weeks left in the sixth season of Voyager until we get to the Kenneth Biller era. Next week, we're going to be talking about Live Fast and Prosper and Muse.